0: Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros. Welcome to or welcome back to Channel Journeys. This is your host, channel chief, and cycling fanatic, Rob Spee. With all the buzz around partner ecosystems, I'm starting to wonder if I need to change the name of this podcast to Partner Journeys. Channels has always had more of a transactional connotation, and, well, alliances has tended to be more technology oriented, but even those lines are starting to blur. Should partnerships with the cloud hyperscalers like AWS and Microsoft be considered channels or alliances? Well, really, they're both. Alliances is taking on a much broader meaning these days, as we're going to learn from today's guest. Before we dive into that, a big thanks to Allbound, the sponsor of Channel Journeys. Allbound is a world-leading partner portal that vendors rely on to manage their diverse partner ecosystems, including the traditional channels like distributors, VARs, and agents, as well as alliance partners like OEMs, ISVs, and system integrators. Allbound is fast and easy to set up, and their user interface makes it easy on partners to collaborate on co-selling and co-marketing while they ramp up on training and certifications. Be sure to check them out at allbound.com. Okay, well, today's guest is Nima Beatty, Global VP of Alliances at GitLab. You're going to hear how Nima's Alliances team is organized, the broad range of partnerships they cover, and how they work hand-in-hand with the channel's team. But more importantly, you're going to hear why many alliance partnerships fail and what it takes to have a successful partnership. Are you ready? Let's go. Nima, hello. Good morning or good afternoon. Welcome to Channel Journeys. Rob, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here and join you today. Likewise. So where are you hunkered down? Is it morning for you or afternoon yet?
1: It is almost noon here in the San Francisco Bay Area where we are pleasantly enjoying good weather you know, knock on wood, but we're all still stuck indoors, either working or work from home or whatever we need to do. So yeah, you can't complain. It's California weather. Doesn't matter which part of California.
0: That's right. That's right. I I lived in California for a while. I got really spoiled in Southern California. So I I do miss it. That's for sure. Well, great to have you on board. We're going to talk about something we don't chat as much about on Channel Journeys because of the name channel and the name and kind of the, the meaning of channels historically. Means something different than alliances. And I want to talk about that with you. You, you are running alliances there. So there's a lot that we can dive into alliances and making successful alliances, successful partnerships. Maybe for starters though, let's talk a little bit about GitLab. You guys run a, you have a DevOps platform. So why are partners so important to your go to market strategy? What role do partners play?
1: So a great question. And, and I appreciate the fact that you're making the distinction between alliances and channels. So in very short order, the principal difference between alliances and channels for us is the channels tend to be the typical go-to-market mechanism, which is the extensible sales organization, where you can reach customers through partners who are in the line of transaction, whether the selling transaction or the procurement or you know identifying customers. So this is traditionally DISTIs, SIs, MSPs, regional and global system integrators and resellers, right? Whereas the alliances organizations tend to be historically something kind of amorphous of, It could be technology partnerships only, but it could be a technology plus plus other things. And in GitLab, we've we've taken that extra step and pushed it plus plus, meaning that from our perspective, alliances really encapsulate everything from cloud partnerships and hyperscalers to platform partnerships with large middleware vendors and partners that have a a highly dense captive customer base on a application platform. So think of like Red Hat, VMware, Cisco, HP, uh, Oracle, and the like. Uh, and then also the long tail of technology isv partnerships where there are uh uh there's a requirement to meet customers where they are meaning we we need to interoperate with the technology choices they've already made or we want to enable other third parties and isvs to run on top of gitlab and that, that typically happens when you become the de facto platform you start thinking uh with an api first mentality and you want other people to build on top of of uh, kind of your software um so from our perspective you know, whether it's alliances or channels, it's the ability to reach customers and meet them where they are. Uh, and as a sales-led organization or as an engineering-first organization, you have a, a limited capacity to reach customers globally. You're, you're, you can't really hire in every single country and speak every single language and uh, and be incorporated everywhere. It's a very expensive way to grow. Uh, a, a fast and, and easy way to grow, though not necessarily always easy, is to go through channel partners and to to ink those types of partnerships with large alliance partners where they have a either large an access to a large pool of customers um, or a platform where there's a kind of a high density of existing workloads. So in the on-premise space, you'll see a lot of VMware, a lot of Red Hat. In the cloud, you'll see a lot of Amazon, a lot of Google, where there's a high density and propensity of not only uh, applications that are Uh, align well with our corporate mission, as well as customers who align well with the type of customers that we sell to that use our stuff. So let's back up a little bit. And your first question was, what's GitLab? So GitLab is a modern DevOps platform. We provide an end-to-end solution for developers and DevOps uh, operators who want to build applications, build new, whether mobile or web or backend applications in any language and deploy them into their environment or into a public cloud. Now, traditionally, this this used to be the purview of a collection of different partners and parties, uh, each provided a specific capability. You do your planning in one tool, you'd store your code in another tool, and then you'd have a collection of kind of, you know, hodgepodge of duct tape, digitally duct tape solutions that do your pipeline and security assessment and testing. That's a pretty expensive way to to actually build your developer capabilities. And you're spending a lot of money and time on what's effectively plumbing. So our approach has been that you know this, this is something that should work out of the box for most developers. And if anything, they should be productive on day one, on hour one. So we've begun to build a platform that enables developers to be productive from ideation all the way through building, storing their applications, configuring their applications for deployment, and then The scanning, testing, compilation, build and deployment into wherever their favorite target environment is. Um, and it's a little bit different than what you'll see in the traditional space where it's multi vendor and there's a lot of do it yourself DevOps or, you know, uh, compile yourself DevOps or stitch together DevOps. And it's pretty expensive. Uh, it's very hard to maintain the state of your infrastructure. It's very hard to stay current with the latest and greatest, you know, developments. And it's even harder to keep those these different components from different vendors all working together. That's a huge burden and a tax on a company. I think it's a lot easier for any company of any size, whether in the small mid-market or in the large enterprise, to just like, let's standardize on one platform. And, oh, isn't it nice that the whole thing is actually open source and based on open source. It's a lot easier for me to build and maintain uh, on it versus a lot of the legacy platforms that exist today. So long-winded answer to a short question, but hopefully that that sets the stage.
0: Yeah. And the users of GitLab, could it range everywhere from some college developer, you know, in his dorm all the way up to a startup or or super large enterprise?
1: It's everybody and anybody. So let's say you're a college student and you just want it, um, you know, let me just get the free version or uh, pay nominal fee and I get my own repository. Great. That's the dot com SAS version. If you're a mid market uh, enterprise you want to either run it somewhere else or run it in your own local environment because you want your data close to where you know you keep your your piI or your most important sensitive data. you can run it locally. Let's say you're a uh, an agency or uh, an entity that has to run an air gapped environment. you can do that as well uh, and you have the option of using basically what's community open source as well as the paid premium and ultimate products that we sell that have a lot more of those enterprise rich Auditability monitoring and security uh, features built into it. So the whole gamut from, from, you know, the individual to the large scale developer in a big organization.
0: Yeah. Which I think about from a channel perspective and how I would formulate a channel strategy. How do you formulate an alliance strategy based on that? And what market are you going after? Are you going after the whole kit and caboodle or are you thinking alliance is a particular segment?
1: You know, it's a, it's a great question. And so our philosophy is that we have um, a pillared model. We have a cloud pillar, a platform pillar, and a technology pillar. And each of them focuses on a specific type of partner. And so a lot of our go-to-market, our technical capability, our co-selling is is tailored to that particular uh, pillar. So we have a cloud pillar where we work with uh, with Amazon and Google and IBM, partners that are very large, uh, large captive customers. We have a lot of mutual uh, joint customers that kind of uh, come to us or that our partners bring to us. We have platform partnerships with the likes of VMware and Red Hat building out additional partnerships with other middleware uh, providers where they, uh, they can be a combination of, let's say, middleware plus hardware or middleware alone. But again, that's the underlying platform where a lot of the Web 2.0 and some Web 3.0 applications are going to be running on top of. And then, the, again, the long tail, the, the big long tail of uh, technology ISV solutions that can run on top of GitLab, run astride GitLab, or as a sidecar, or just be you know, disconnected. These are like the Slacks, you know, ServiceNow, Datadog, Sysdig, uh, any of these tools that I, as a developer, would want to augment my overall DevOps practice with uh, additive componentry, right? So that's the way we look and parse our overall uh, alliance group. And one of the things we do is a lot of our investments going forward are based on basically three philosophies. The first is really to extend ex- uh, existing partnerships and with deeper integrations with current partners. The second is to expand our total portfolio with new partnerships to fill in emerging gaps where as you grow as a platform and as technology develops, there are opportunities uh, in, in the white spaces between to build bridging solutions or build new capabilities. For example, you know, we've been adding monitoring and security as a must have for any DevOps environment. And there are a lot of great partners out there that have fantastic tools that could really augment the overall customer and user experience. And then the third is really exploring new partnerships with uh, either new derivative partnerships or absolutely new uh, greenfield partnerships where we just haven't operated before, right? With Nobody naturally would would bundle a piece of software with a piece of hardware and sell it as an appliance, but possibly that could be uh, a path to market. Or, uh, you know, taking our software and, and running it as uh, a native service provided by, let's say, another cloud, uh, whether it's a tier one or two, two cloud, where they say, hey, We know we'd love to be a service provider and actually provide GitLab as a service. How do we work with you? So all of these ideas are on the table. And what we're really looking to do is just make it a lot easier for our end customers, wherever they are, whatever they look like, however they use us, to be able to access GitLab as if it was a first party service, whether they buy directly from us or through a reseller or through a cloud partner or through a platform partner. So that's this is really where that partnership between the channel selling organization and the alliance partnership organization comes into play, uh, because those lines that used to historically exist have been completely blurred. And you'll see a merging of capabilities and interest between the two organizations. And I think uh, going forward, there's a couple of, of new emerging opportunities in this landscape that are driving a change in behavior meaning incenting the channel and alliances or organizations, which were historically separate, to actually merge and work together, if not be under one complete umbrella.
0: What are some examples of that that you're seeing?
1: You know, so, for example, we're seeing a lot more large enterprise transformation initiatives where big companies are either modernizing or mar- are migrating their applications to a new environment. Uh, you know, 90% of these big enterprise transformations tend to target the top four largest hyperscalers. So Amazon, Google, Azure, and Alley Cloud. We're also seeing a lot of these transformation initiatives actually start on the consulting side of the house. So um, our regional system integrators, our global system integrating partners actually bring us opportunities to say Acme Anvil company is modernizing their IT infrastructure and uh, doing a full 6R assessment, their application estate and portfolio, we we believe that they need a modern DevOps platform as part of that overall journey. We'd like to bring GitLab into that deal. And on the back end of that deal, it lands on Amazon or it lands on Google. And then again, once again, we have that partner in place to support the customer. And so little by little, we see more and more opportunities for GitLab to help our customers by being ever present in all the different ways that they engage, you know, third parties within their domain, whether it's the software provider or the reseller or the distier or the consulting firm that's providing services, big like value added services to them. In every instance they hear GitLab or they have GitLab expertise or they have people who can who are specialists that can come in and help them, you know, completely reorganize how they want to grow and scale the company.
0: Yeah. I think you're right, though. This, this blending and merging of alliances and channels is really accelerating. And we talk a lot about the, in the channels of models blending, you know, VARs want to become managed service providers and GSI sometimes are resellers or managing services and it's all intermingling. And you've got customers becoming partners and MSPs, but now we're seeing opportunities. We call it the trifecta when you've got an alliance partner and maybe a GSI and, and ourselves beyond trust, maybe a quadfecta. Is that a word? Because then also you also got. AWS is probably engaged in that as well. So, you, know, you might sell it on the marketplace. You're engaging their reps. It's so intertwined now. So you've got the
1: large cloud partners that want to own a bigger part or a bigger share of the customer's wallet, providing transactional services through their marketplaces, right? So we used to see a lot of that, that third-party resell occur on the channel. We're now seeing kind of an equilibrium form between alliances and channel partners where the cloud providers are actually now becoming the transaction authority uh and taking some of that transactional risk. We're seeing consulting firms for especially the large ones actually build a cloud practice that includes cloud as a service and cloud infrastructure. We're seeing resellers that historically didn't have a marketplace building marketplaces and providing that as an additional value added service. So you're right there's there's definitely some consolidation and blending of a, of the previously hard edges into kind of a soft fog where there's more option for the customer, which is great, but there's more inclination, more incentive for different types of partners to work together to figure out, well, what's the problem we're trying to solve for the customer? Is it, are we shortening the procurement cycle, making that easier, or are we providing pre-configured technical integrations because these tend to be the more popular ones out there? Like think of every instance that you uh, deploy in DevOps, there's a very good correlation with some integration with Slack for example for uh, collaborative messaging or uh, integration with Datadog for monitoring uh, and alerting or PagerDuty for alerting so uh, we we definitely see the a recurrence of key technology partners and key, key cloud partners and key platform partners over and over uh, and one of the, the things that we want to work on very specifically is to remove that burden or that tax of having the customer have to handwire that last mile for themselves Make the customizations a lot a little bit easier by at least having it pre-configured or pre-set up or pre-available in some form or fashion to give a better out-of-the-box experience. Yeah,
0: I want to talk about partner success, and and you had made an interesting comment when we were chatting before this about I think you know just go into a partnership assuming it's going to fail, right? And from a alliances versus channel perspective, do you think there's a difference in how you approach alliances and what you need to do to make them successful, or do you think it's all the same? core tenets of, of successful partnering I think the core tenets are uh, are the same whether you talk about a channel partner
1: or an alliance partner um, I think the the, uh, the distinction we want to draw is really between the the legacy way of approaching partners versus the modern way and the legacy way used to be let's just sign a piece of paper some sort of between us and a third party and then we put their logo on their website and we're done right that was this expectation of if you sign it they will come this kind of field of dreams mentality which was really it just doesn't work. It's does. It's, there's a no go.
0: Are you saying that it wasn't just channel managers who were out there recruiting every single partner they could sign up? Alliance managers were doing that too.
1: They were doing that too. I mean, take a look at every dot com startup that's been out there and look at their partner page. It's a it's a scroll by logo, right? But if you click behind any of those logos, there's not a lot of substance. A lot of cattle. You know, all had no cattle. And I'm sure channel partners did that too. Let's get as many channel partners as we can. But then you don't have a lot of. Depth with those channel partners. You don't build a lot of business. And if you add a partner, I think you are responsible for the care and feeding of that partner. Right. So my philosophy has always been, I'm perfectly open to the idea of a partnership, but understand that when you ink a deal, when you shake hands, it's the same as a relationship, right? So there's this courting period, but that when everything gets real is when you get married, the day of your wedding is like the day of signing a particular agreement. Now your relationship doesn't end the day that you get married. It starts. And you will continue investing in that relationship. You'll build a home together. You'll build a family together. You'll grow old together. That's the same way to think about partnerships. It, it really starts that day one when you've inked the deal. Now what? How? What are you going to do to invest in that partnership? What are you going to do to help that partner grow on your platform or to find mutual customers to co-sell eventually, uh, you know, to train your individual sales teams? To recognize mutual opportunities, to bring each other into opportunities, to advocate for each other with prospective customers. That doesn't happen on day one. That happens 180, 500 days after that, you know, you've you've signed that deal as you learn what the Better Together story really is. And I think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle because a lot of senior executives will see logos on a, on a piece of paper and say, all right, hey, we, we signed up Amazon or Google as a partner, you know, cha-ching, profit. No, that there's no magic step between, between sign up and profit. There's a lot of hard work. And so in order for you to distinguish yourself as a good partner and standing with any, any large partner, you can't have the expectation that somehow magically they're going to gift you a bunch of customers. You have to work for it. Why should Amazon care about you, your ISV, if they have 90,000 other ISVs to worry about? why should google care if they're uh you know viewed your channel partner if they have 500 other channel partners that are in their overall portfolio so i think you really need to spend the time to understand and invest and that investment has to happen after you've signed the agreement it doesn't happen before and then you kind of let it go now with that said let's all agree there's probably an 80 20 rule or a 90 10 rule where a small fraction of your partners will probably carry the bulk of that joint win that joint revenue, that joint customer success. And that's okay. It's also okay to not 100% dedicate yourself to a partner all the time. You know, you'll invest in a partner. They'll get to a steady state and then you'll take your energy and invest in another partner. The idea here is a rising tide will lift all boats and you will continue, you know, to support multiple partners across the spectrum. But at the end of the day, in the aggregate, your relationships with partners should be better than it was yesterday, than it was last year. And I think this is something that we have to remind ourselves when we engage in partnerships that if I'm making this commitment with a partner, I'm not just doing it to sign a logo. I'm actually making this a reality for our organization and directly for the customer. You know, why would I want to sign this particular partner if they don't specifically help my customer have a better experience? Or help my installers have a better experience or help my ProSurf team or my, you know, my service partners have a better experience installing, deploying, training, enabling, and expanding their footprint with particular customers.
0: Are there things you do, Nima, during the courting phase before the marriage that you've found help lead to a more successful marriage?
1: So there's, um, there's two ways we look at it. We get a lot of inbound from partners who are interested in working with GitLab, and we also have a select outbound where we selectively target key partners where we believe there's a, there's a substantial better together story there. I think in any organization, you have to allow for both. You have to allow for both organic growth and targeted growth. The second part is, I think you need to prove out the hypothesis before we really go deep. Are we compatible? And that's part of that early dating. Do we have the same customers? Do we work in the same segments? Do we sell in the same way? Do we at least understand how the other party sells? So at, at least it's complementary. And a lot of these questions aren't asked in the early days. It's just, you know, partner shows up, says, this is my thing. And then you show your thing and you're kind of left trying to interpret, well, do these things work together? Let alone if I if I munge them together, is that what a customer really wants? So one strong signal is if customers are asking us for it if customers are doing it themselves, you know, stitching two pieces of software together themselves, or if we see a, a market opportunity. So for example, if we want to enter, I'm just going to use security as an example, right? Security is a very large market. Uh, it's a huge layer cake. We may not, ha- not have an expertise in all layers of security. So it may be a great time for us to partner and leverage the expertise other companies to come in and provide uh, tools, services, constructs, you know, wisdom experience that we don't have that our customers definitely need. Uh, And that's another way to make sure that your partnership will be successful. But it really depends on whether you're on the sell side, on the channel side, on the services side, on the operator, or uh, it's a technology integration. And you just kind of have to understand your domain, first and foremost, as what's the problem you're trying to solve? And then what's the criteria for success?
0: Then once you sign the agreement, you've gotten married. Now, what do you do? What are some of the tactics or tools that you use to to launch a successful partnership or create a successful?
1: The, the, probably the, the primary rubric a lot of people use is customers. It's, you know, what's, what's the joint success that we have here? And behind that number is how much more business has this partnership brought me that I didn't have before? Or how much access to new customers, new pools of customers has this relationship brought me that I didn't have access to before? So with respect to channel partners, that's pretty sta- pretty straightforward. Let's say I don't operate in Europe. Going through a channel partner in Europe gives me access to customers I couldn't reach before. With technology, it's a little different. I think you have to do your homework properly. That technology partner might enable you to access a certain type of workload or a certain technology or a certain use case that you couldn't access before. Right? Let's say uh, I use Git for mobile, uh, for web application development but a partner materially enables me to then also reach mobile developers. Now I have greatly increased my landed addressable market and the, total, the totality of customers that I can reach. That's pretty important. So these are the steps I think you need to take after that ink is dry to make sure, you know, how do I get to more customers? How do I expand my customer reach? And is this mutually beneficial? It can't be just one way. If we are working with a partner, we expect that their, you know, their value add or part of their value add is to help us grow our business and mutually it's for us to help them grow their business. And we typically try to be mutually exclusive, but there's always going to be partners who are overlapping in similar industries. I'll I'll use Atlassian as as a great example. Atlassian has Jira. Jira is a very popular planning tool. We do run into instances where customers have Jira and installation and they want to continue using it. It's what they know. Uh, Our philosophy has always been we want to, we want to work with what you already have. So we worked with Atlassian to build an integration where we actually uh, pass metadata back and forth between our platform and Jira. That allows the customer to maintain their issue and track their, their items within Jira. But then also to correlate it to specific GitLab repositories and epics, so that you can draw that inference between you know what's driving what. That better together is really an important story because at the end of the day, what customers really care about is the and story, not the or story, right? It's Jira and GitLab. That's how I want to operate. That I think takes a, a little bit more investment in making sure that. You know, you build the right solution and you've built it to succeed as opposed to just throwing something in there and hoping that, well, maybe they'll work together. Maybe the customer can kind of figure it out. And then the, the part that I think is really important is you have to train your team first. So our, our field teams, their field teams, then you have to train customers thereafter. And then you have to train the overall market as a whole. And it has to be in that order, right? Because the market as a whole is very, very big. And just putting a press release out there doesn't really train the market. You have to put customer evidence. You have to put videos out there. You have to put documentation. That will take time. It'll be a lot easier for you to at least draw out the use cases for your field organization, train them to recognize the opportunity, get your professional services organization to understand how to do the implementation, uh, how to build it out, get your TAM organization to actually go back in and capture those customer success stories and publish them through the marketing and field organizations. All of these are additive, they just kind of build on top of each other. So by the time it gets to the broad market and an analyst or a reporter wants to, to write about it, they're not reporting out on a press release. They're reporting out, oh, such and such a customer went to this conference and they talked about using you know vendor X and vendor Y together and this is the result that they had. Consequently, we've seen this happen really well in, in like either open source conferences or even uh, regular tech conferences where it's a lot better to have customers walk on stage and tell their story than to have a technology vendor go on stage and just kind of list out a litany of features, none of which correlate to an understanding or demonstrated empathy with the audience or your customers.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So train your people, train your customers, train the market. What about training partners? Where do they fit in that equation?
1: It, it, partners are right when you train your people. So uh, I, I think the step one is train your own people, and train your partners, and they're synonymous in a way your partners are your people right they are an extension of your organization just as you are an extension of theirs if they can identify an opportunity and bring it to you you should equally be able to identify an opportunity and bring it to them ultimately it's a, it's a co-sell but just that opportunity identification and knowing what keywords to to trigger are, are huge And you don't have to be a solution expert. Not everything has to be perfectly baked as a a beautiful solution. I think ultimately you want to get there, but you do have to at least be open to the idea of value stream analysis and understanding the overall benefits. And that, that starts with not, again, a litany of features in your product and my product, but an understanding of how together we can show empathy and empathize with the customer situation, right? So we talked about enterprise transformation what are we looking for there? Are we looking for a specific vendor? No. What we're looking for is for someone to come to the customer and say, look, I understand what you're going through. You have a whole bunch of applications, which are legacy. You as a CTO really want to move them over to the cloud and you want to make all them cloud native, but oh boy, that's going to be expensive or it's pretty challenging. Well, we can help you. And let's show you what we've done for other companies. Show you how we've done it and the decision matrix that we went through, and these are some of the things you should just be uh, be cognizant of, be aware of. That honest conversation shows a tremendous depth by the consulting partner, or whoever, to the customer it says, "Look, I I feel what you're going through. I understand your concerns. You're not alone. Here are other companies that have been through the same journey as you. These are the things we have learned, and this is how we can help you based on our past learnings." That's a cathartic. Experience to have for any CTO, and I think they they genuinely seek partners who can come and demonstrate that. And I think a lot of companies make the mistake of coming in and just again, it's like verbalizing a bunch of features, but they don't connect those features to the customer's
0: uh, initial problem and that Better Together story that you're that you're talking about and the
1: Better Together story. There's um, you know, it's it's very funny. Uh, We hire for empathy as the primary skill set. And it is very hard to codify and it is very hard to, to know exactly how to, um, how to suss that out during an interview. But we've noticed that if we hire for empathy as a primary, as a you know, first order concern, we tend to get people who can step out of their lane and not only have, have empathy for the customer, but also empathy for their, uh, for their coworkers. Whether it's empathy for whoever's downstream receiving my, my body of work or upstream who's delivering their body of work to me. I think the organization just works better uh, if you can measure and hire for that as a particular skill set.
0: Is that something you look for, particularly in the alliance role or across the board? It's what what GitLab looks for in in employees. Well,
1: across the board, certainly in alliances and channels specifically. Uh, So from our perspective, we need to demonstrate an empathy and an understanding of our partners and what their concerns are Uh, And equivalently, we want to impress upon them exactly what's important to us and have them be able to represent that, you know, that concern to either their customers or back to us. And it's a quick test to do. It's it's really, it's fairly straightforward to be able to see somebody demonstrating that empathy. Um, It also tells us that, you know, you are a listener, like you understand, you're trying to reflect back, you're a learning organization, you're very You have a strong learning mindset. And in an environment, especially channels and alliances, where we are constantly being exposed to new ideas, new technologies, new partners, if you're not open-minded and willing to really listen, like listen to learn, not listen to respond, I don't think you're going to be successful. And that's that's a big rubric that we use internally to make sure that, you know, everything that our partners bring to the table, we at least understand and suss it out, even if it's not applicable, even if it's something we can't affect or improve Mm -hmm. upon. At least we'll understand what their concern is.
0: Yeah. Well, that sounds like marriage.
1: And that comes back to the whole idea of this is really a relationship. I think partnership should be retasted and renamed as relationship because you're investing in it as much as your partner is. You may not think it's equal and it doesn't have to be equal, but you bring something unique to that relationship, to that marriage, as your partner does. Uh, And you each bring your own thing. So together, is what makes that better together story. You know, separately, there's an there's old African proverb, to go fast, go alone, to go far, go together. Really, your goal should be to go far, not to go fast. And if you have that long view um, and you pick the right partners, I think you can be tremendously successful. Now we can probably argue the merits of having many partners versus a few partners. You know, th- that's really germane to your individual situation and your capacity to go deep or wide, uh, but at the, at the end of the day, you want uh, you want those key partners to be the ones that you're going to you're going to have for a very, very long time.
0: Yeah. Now our bosses want us to go far fast.
1: They do. And, and that's that is their prerogative to always ask the impossible of us to ask for the moonshots. And and certainly I, every CEO I've ever worked for has always asked for more than the organization in total could put possibly ever do even on their best year. And somehow we still surprise ourselves
0: and we're able to push beyond. I'm curious. I'm back on that empathy question. Do you use some type of quiz, or are there just interview questions you ask? How do you spot that in a candidate?
1: We don't necessarily have an inter- uh, a, a quiz, or a question, but it's pretty easy to to, to be able to witness empathy in action, it, it just in general interactions with other human beings, right? So, and that's really what the interview process is. Uh, we're just having a, a casual interaction with you to see. If you can pick up on, on subtle things and empathy is more than just, you know, show me that you h- hear what I'm saying. It's also the ability to pick up on, which is really hard to do on Zoom, by the way, on language, on tone, on uh, just their presence, on, you know, the way they, they hold themselves or just kind of the body language. All this is also very important in, in any case of negotiation, because negotiation is ultimately empathy, right? They're going to represent a position. You're going to represent a position. There's a grand canyon between the two of you. You're not trying to close the, well, you're trying to close the gap, but you're not trying to split the difference, right? You want to negotiate uh, into your benefit. I think empathy is a principal skill set in that, in in any kind of negotiation. Uh, And I think most negotiating books will talk about this, but I haven't really seen one where it goes deep into building out that competence of being able to recognize what empathy actually looks like.
0: When you're looking to fill alliance roles, do you look at the channel organization? Do you see CAMS as good candidates? Or do you look more for people that have traditionally been in the alliance role?
1: Well, it's really funny. If you go to college or university, you can't get uh, a BA or BS or a master's in alliances or channels, right? This is a kind of an atypical career path. And we see people within both the channels and alliances organization coming from all walks of life. You know, former salespeople, former ISRs, people from marketing, people from an engineering or product or whatever background, including dissimilar industries. So like, for example, my my own background, I started life digging ditches in construction. Then I went to building airplanes at Boeing. Then I went to building computers at Sun. Then I spent a couple of years building PowerPoint decks at Deloitte. Like I've had an interesting progression of a career. Then I went into technology or back into technology first with social media kind of back when like the Instagrams and Facebooks were first taking off and I was working on blogging software and made my way into cloud because or for a variety of reasons. One of them was actually because the people I admired tended to aggregate there. And there's a couple of people I really admired. I did not target alliances as a competence or a career path. It just was a natural progression of all the different skills I had learned from being a developer, from being an engineer, from being in marketing, from being a product manager. All these skills kind of coalesced and it became kind of a natural fit. Oh, well, you understand technology and you understand business. You understand selling and you understand partnering. This might be a good area for you. So, which is all of which is to say you don't have to follow my path to get to alliances. I, uh, and alliances tends to have an open door policy with whatever your background is. As long as you can come in, demonstrate your ability and interest and inclination to do the job, I think you'll be very successful. You're going to have like every other job good days and bad days. Like imagine the worst day is that the, the three days before a negotiation where you ink a partnership where everyone is ready to walk away and uh, you just cannot come to an agreement on some like one obscure thing in your contract. And it's usually either indemnification or warrants or liability. But I've literally seen who collects tax be a line item where people are like, no, we're going to walk away from this, right? And until the day you actually sign it. And then you've, you've like, you shake hands, you sign, you ink the paper, you've got the, the carbon copy ready to go. It can be frustrating. It can be cathartically wonderfully rewarding. But I do believe that there are specific personalities who are are going to be very successful in a channel and very successful in an alliance organization. It's really not for everybody. It's for that entrepreneur, like an internal entrepreneur who is no two days are ever going to be alike in your in your life. And you're perfectly okay with that. And you're perfectly okay with you know, constantly being bombarded by vast amounts of information that you need to parse through quickly to understand what's important and people management and relationship management. So for me, it's incredibly rewarding because it's it's not a grind. You know, every day there's an opportunity for us to learn something or, or pick up a skill we didn't have before, pick up a nugget of information that's that we didn't possess. And I think that makes the job really, really rewarding and interesting. At the end of the day, when when you're also acknowledged for your contributions to the top line, the bottom line of the company, because you definitely have a huge impact. You may not be in kind of the hero culture of sales, where you have a big number and you close that big deal. Instead, you close many smaller deals across a swath of partners, which in aggregate are pretty substantial. I think you should take that moment to recognize your contributions and what you've been able to do, some of which have been on your back, like you, that you were the hero, but mostly because you built an organization that could recognize and automate and operate that, you know, those opportunities. And that's really the, the, the marker of a good organization within alliances is that both on the channel side and the alliances side, you know, you're building systems, you're building operations, you're building tools to help you scale beyond your human limitations, right? Traditional sales grows by person, If I want to double my revenue, I need to double my headcount in sales. Alliances and channels aren't like that. We scale at a one to 10 ratio. So to grow 10x, we only need to add 10% or 20% or 30%. So it's a very different
0: model uh, altogether. It is. It is. You know, just thinking about this kind of the blending of, of alliances and channels, and we talk about, you know, skill sets. I suspect we're not doing nearly a good enough job of cross pollinating people between channels and alliances. And even in organizations, you, they're very bifurcated, even sitting in totally different groups, right? And I think you guys recently pulled this all together.
1: So this, this will pull together before I, I joined GitLab, but I've seen organizations where the channel reports into the sales organization, the alliance reports into something else, whether it's the COO, CPO, CTO. Uh, for example, uh, Google just recently, Google Cloud, you know, merged the alliances and channel organization all under Kevin Atchaprani, all of which then moved underneath sales Uh, under Rob Enslin. So that's a good example of this merging is happening. Before, there were completely two separate entities, two separate parties. And it was probably confusing for some partners. They they didn't know, like, do I go talk to Carolee or do I go talk to Kevin? Which one do I talk to? I've also seen it at other companies. And uh, and even in my prior life at uh, Pivotal and VMware, they they were still very separate. At GitLab, we actually blended everything under the CRO organization. So, if you're in the role of helping close business and sell GitLab as a service, as software, you should be part of one entity. And so all the resources of that entity should be available to you. For us, it made perfect sense to have it all within the CRO organization. Now, with that said, we do have separate but equal goals, but we also recognize that, you know, one plus one versus two uh, together, we can actually achieve more. So Michelle and I have been very strict and thoughtful about what we as executives can do to remove those obstacles, those barriers for our people to be successful, to collaborate, to bring opportunities together. And one of the ways we do this is to recognize that opportunities come equally from the Alliance side of the house with you know, platform partners bringing us new deals as they do from channel partners that are you know, already involved. Case in point, enterprise transformations we talked about. If I'm doing a mass application modernization migration project from uh my on-prem legacy Unix-based servers to let's say Google Cloud, there's a very high chance that I will actually engage an SI partner before I engage uh the cloud partners. And vice versa, right? That the the like for example, Google and Amazon have as fantastic pro serve teams that help customers with their migration, but they also massively invest in and leverage the capabilities of their channel partners and their SI community to do the same as well from a customer's perspective six of one half does another another right as long as we can make the workload move over quickly and we have experts doing it and they're held accountable and they have the skill set doesn't matter in those situations it doesn't matter if it started from channels and ended in alliances, or it started in alliances and in channels. It's all coming to GitLab, and that's what really we really we care about: making sure the customers recognize how we can help them, uh, making sure we do help them, making sure we measure how much we have helped them, uh, and help them be over you know successful in their overall journey.
0: Hodges is running the channel team. You're running alliances. How are you guys driving collaboration between your two teams? Because there's there's so many opportunities there.
1: No, it's a, that's a great question. I, I think this is a. There's no one right answer. It's a. It's a continuously evolving, improving environment. We do cross pollinate. Uh, we have a lot of kind of mutual meetings between the the team members from from both teams. Um, we do planning together. We do planning jointly. We also get together in terms of like new brainstorming sessions of like how can we leverage certain types of partners to affect other types of partnerships. So for example, you know, we work very closely with Amazon and Google. One of the things we've, we've also looked into is aligning and doubling down on the channel partners that Amazon and Google tend to, to favor um, and seeing if there's high correlation by aligning with them. So for example, you know, aligning with the big GSIs, the top, let's say of the top 11 GSIs that Google and Amazon work with, maybe just work with the top three. And then within those top three, which are the service lines and business practices that best align with, with GitLab. Similarly, with their channel partners, some of them have access that we just don't have. Some platform partners have access that we don't have. I'm going to make sure that we, we at least open the doors and allow those conversations to occur. So short answer, you know, <laughs> there's no short answer. It's work. And I think as executives, you have to be committed to working with your peers to make sure that our teams mutually can benefit from each other. Uh, And it can be as simple as, you know, co-locating can be a little bit more sophisticated, like making sure that your compensation incentive systems are collaborative and actually incent mutual collaboration, as opposed to a, you know, one in the seat or the other, which I think a lot of legacy systems are like that. It also comes out to understanding your IT systems and, and like how you track opportunities. Like a basic discussion might be, you know, how do we measure source versus co-sell versus influence versus service delivery? And, and what's important for which type of partner and what should be the compensation mechanism and should we allow for splits? And so, and how do we allow for and enforce and enable channel neutral compensation models so that we don't have internal channel conflict? These are the, the discussions you really want to have at that level. And I think you need to have a fantastic sales ops, finance, and channel operations team that are there to help you.
0: I think that's the piece that we're all working on right now. I know at Beyond Trust, that's exactly what we're working on. We're mapping it out, working with the Salesforce team. How do we track all this? It's probably a podcast all on its own, just that one topic.
1: Well, the good thing is no one has solved it perfectly. I think there's a lot of good, imperfect solutions out there. And the more we talk about it, the more we share The better the opportunity we have to learn from industry peers and figure out, well, what's going to work? What might work there may not work here, but it's still a good idea for us to have a discussion about. Yeah, exactly.
0: Nima, we're just about out of time. You talked a little bit about your channel journey or alliance journey. Where were you digging ditches? I'm curious about that one.
1: So, in in high school, I worked for my dad's construction company, and that was what I did during the summers instead of goofing off and going surfing at the beach in LA. I learned a, a ton, I learned a lot about. You know, just being responsible for your own time, being responsible for what other people had entrusted you with, and you know, it's okay, You get to work with your hands. It was it was kind of nice. Uh, I wish those skills had stayed with me because I could I could definitely use it now. But I think, it, regardless of where you start, expect your career to be a messy spaghetti chart of a journey. You know, just and I I talked to the, the I mentor some folks inside of uh, of our company and outside as well, and it's never up and to the right. I think I have to maybe three people I know in my circle that are have been up and to the right. The majority are messy. They change careers. They change industries. They change segments. They change even geographies and move around the world. But everything that you learn from your last job makes you better at your next job. Yes. Yep.
0: And yeah, it's not just an upward trajectory. It's it's up and down and over and sideways. and, And even failures are great learning opportunities. And I've learned a lot, which tells you I've had a lot of failures too, which is fine. Nima, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed talking about it. Sometimes alliances for us channel folks are scary, but there's nothing scary about it. And we've got to be brothers in arms or sisters in arms and working together more and more. So I really appreciate the chance to chat with you.
1: Absolutely. And I really appreciate it. And thank you very much for uh, inviting me on the show, Rob. It's been an absolute pleasure to just have someone to talk to uh, about these topics and just brainstorm a couple of things. But but also just to, to surface the fact that your journey, you're not alone on it. You know, Other people have the exact same problems. And it's sometimes nice to hear that you're not alone. And uh, there might be others that you can talk to.
0: On that note, are you open to people reaching out to you if they have questions about what you're doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. On LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, just reach out to me via LinkedIn and I'm always happy to connect with new people.
0: Okay, perfect. Nima, have a great rest of the day. Great 2022. Wish you all the success.
1: My pleasure. Thank you again.
0: All right. Cheers. Okay, there we go, guys. A lot of valuable tips from Nima on forming successful partnerships. Signing up a partner is like a marriage. Just because you have a legal contract, it doesn't mean you're truly partners yet. You have to continue investing in the relationship to build business together and to grow together. And that advice applies to any sort of partnership. Thanks, Nima, for coming on the show. Thank you for listening. And thanks again to our sponsor, Allbound. Allbound has best-in-class reviews for user experience, ease of use, and customer support. If you're looking for an easier way to manage your channel and alliance partnerships for anything from deal registration to tracking partner opportunities and providing the right discounts and commissions, be sure to check them out at allbound.com today's show notes, just go to channeljourneys.com slash cj89. You can subscribe while you're there. And if you enjoyed the show, please take a few minutes and leave a rating and review on your podcast platform. I'd really appreciate it. Next episode, we'll be talking about customer experience and partner success, a very hot topic. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.